This morning we're going to go to the book of James. We're going to take a short break from 1 Peter. We're right next door to 1 Peter. But the book of James, chapter 5. James, chapter 5. And we're just going to read a couple of verses, starting at verse 13 down through verse 16. James, chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 13 through 16. We uh, actually studied this passage back in October, um, more at length, but today we have a, I don't want to call it a special event, a special prayer that we're going to be praying after our service or at the end of our service, and it's connected with this passage, and so I want to take a look at this passage as the basis for what we're going to be doing today. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. If you want a title, you can call this the prayer of faith or the prayer and anointing for healing. And starting at verse 13, James says this, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let's take a moment of prayer before we get into our message. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again that you have given us all of the truth that we need to know about you, about your plan, about your, the, the plan of salvation that you offer to us, and about the Christian lives that you want us to live in serving you and serving others. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage now, that you would give us understanding. I pray that your spirit would guide us into understanding what it means and how we should apply it. And Father, we want you to receive the glory from what you've given us. We want you to receive the glory from how we do this. And even during our worship today, it's all about you. And so I pray that you would help our spirits to be in the right attitude of giving to you what you deserve, submitting ourselves before you today, before the truth of your authoritative word. Lord, I need help because I'm just a human being with weaknesses and faults. And so I need your spirit. I ask for a filling of your spirit today. Give me power. Give me wisdom. Give me strength. Give me the truth to speak that we might hear from you and not from a man. And may your word be proclaimed with boldness today so that we might know that we've heard from you. Lord, we, we covet your presence. We covet your work. And we anticipate what you're going to do now, but may you receive the glory and praise for all that's done. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin with this. And this is kind of the, the focus of what James is talking about. How we respond to difficulties, and specifically sickness or affliction in our life, or other difficult circumstances ref, uh, reveals the strength or, of our faith. Our response to our circumstances demonstrates what our faith is. 
You know, there's an, 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 an analogy that I could hold this bottle of water up and try to convince you that it's filled with orange juice. And I could, you know, move it back and forth, and I could say, well, no, this is special orange juice, it's orange juice, it's orange juice. But if I took the lid up off and turned it upside down and shook it, what would come out? Water. Because that's what's inside. And so that's the picture of what we are like when we are shaken. What comes out of us, our response to circumstances, shows what's inside. And so it's a revelation of what our faith really is. If we believe that God's word is true and sufficient for us to build our lives around as Christians, then when we come across circumstances or situations, we simply will go to God's word, see what he says, and then respond accordingly as far as what God has given us that our response should be. Jesus said, when you're persecuted in Matthew chapter 5, when you're reviled, when people make fun of you and falsely accuse you, our response should be, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now, that's not natural. That's not something we do because that's who we are. It is a response of the Holy Spirit in us through our faith that comes out even in the hardest times. And so strong faith obeys God without question, trusting him to accomplish the best outcome according to his will. It's not if everything works out okay. It's not if I get what I want, God, I'll obey. It is, Lord, you've told me to do this in these circumstances, and so this is what I will do, trusting you to do what's best in the end. And it may not turn out the way we expect it or even desire for it to, but God is always good. And we know in faith that he will do what's best. Weak faith, on the other hand, will question what God's doing, will reinterpret or try to re-explain Scripture in a different way. It complains and basically generally decides to go its own way because without a true, solid faith in God's Word and the authority of God's Word, then our response is whatever we want it to be or whatever naturally comes out of our human being. And so we don't respond in the right way to trials like sickness and distress and affliction. And that demonstrates our lack of faith. In this passage in James chapter 5, James lays out a proper response in faith of a believer to different circumstances. And he begins in verse 13, he says, Is any among you afflicted? Now, if you know when James wrote this epistle, it is the time in the early church when Christians are really, really starting to undergo and experience severe persecution both from Rome and from Jews. And so their lives are starting to not be easy. They're going, undergoing severe persecution. And that's the word affliction that James uses here. Is any among you afflicted? Is your life hard? Are you experiencing multiple troubles in your life? And he says, if that's true, then the response of faith is to pray. Not complain, not to question, not to cry out to people. Pray. Go to God. And it's through those prayers that we're able to connect ourselves to God's will as he answers those prayers, and we begin to see a little bit of his purpose in our circumstance, if we have our eyes open in faith. But James says, are you afflicted? Pray. Then he addresses those whose life is going well. The second phrase, he says, is any merry? If you're not having trouble, 
if you're not being persecuted. Rejoice, obviously. And how do we rejoice? He says, if your life is okay and God is blessing you, sing psalms. Now, that's a musical reference to praise, but it, sh- it shows the music of our hearts that both Colossians and Ephesians talk about, that it's a response of being filled with the Spirit, even in hard circumstances. But here he says, if God is blessing you, praise him. Praise him in song, in fact. And then the thirdly, James addresses those who are sick. And he spends several verses elaborating on this particular situation, I believe, so that we can understand what he's saying about this sickness. And he says, Those who are sick should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And he goes on in the next verse, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Now, as we read that, it seems that James gives us a pretty simple and direct response to sickness in our lives, and and that is the way that I believe he intended for us to understand it. The two first situations, when you're undergoing affliction and persecution, pray. When you're merry and life is good, sing psalms, praise God. Those are pretty simple to understand. And so I think this third one should be simple to understand as well. I believe God wants us to be able to look into his word for answers and to know what he desires for us, even in the hardest situations of our life. And so as we look at this passage, we have to see, as we did in the first two instances of affliction and being merry, that in sickness, there's a clear instruction from God about how to respond in faith to this situation. And it's not any sickness. This is a certain kind, which I'm, just, I'm going to explain in a minute. But there's many people who believe that this passage, specifically in the sickness, um, is just a spiritual application. It's not talking about physical sickness. It's talking about a spiritual sickness or a spiritual struggle. And therefore, they believe it should be applied only in a spiritual manner rather than taking it literally. And after thoroughly studying this passage and looking at those objections and alternate readings and other passages relative to this, I really can't come to any other conclusion than that we should take this as it is written. If we're afflicted, pray. If we are merry, sing psalms. If we are sick, a very severe sickness this is talking about, call for the elders of the church to have them pray over you, and the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. What I want us to understand today is that God desires from us simple obedience in faith. And many times I think we complicate matters by trying to explain in a different way or re-explain what God has given us very simply in Scripture. And it's through simple obedience, I believe, that God's blessings really can be poured out in our lives. It's just trusting God for his results, and it's in those opportunities that we obey What's, what's the song say? Trust and obey, right? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to, than to trust and obey. So it's by trusting and obeying that we have the best opportunity to experience the blessings of God and the power of God in our lives as we would not if we didn't obey. 
This is true for the patriarchs and saints of the Bible. As you read those examples, God gave them instructions, and they just simply did what he told them. And God's blessing was upon them. And so I think it's true for us today. So in light of our truth, I want to show you in this passage today our response or what our response should be to this type of sickness as James has instructed us here. And I want to lay out a couple of principles in doing that. I'm not going to take long. I know it's late. But there's some principles we need to understand. First is understanding what kind of sickness this is. And in verse 14, when James says, are you sick? That word sick is astheneo in Greek, which carries the idea of extreme physical weakness or illness. If you look in other places in the New Testament that use this same word to refer to physical sickness as well, it refers to a severe sickness that debilitates the body and mind. Now, this word sick was used for many of the people that Jesus healed who were lame or blind. They were debilitated. And so this is the type of sickness. We're not talking about allergies or the common cold or something, you know, we take a pill for and we feel better. This is a debilitating sickness that keeps us from being able to function. In verse 15, it says, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. That's a different word, sick. That's kamno in the Greek. And it means one who is at the point of fainting. You don't even have strength enough to stand anymore. So James is referring to a severe illness of some kind, which puts a person in a position where they're not even able to function. So that's the first thing. Number two is that we need to understand the process that James says we are to obey. And he says, call for the elders to come and pray, anointing them with oil. Now, first of all, why call the elders of the church to pray? Aren't your own prayers good enough? I mean, we should pray for God to help us in sickness. And we should be praying, even when we're in those severe situations, for God to help us. There's nothing wrong with that. So why call the elders? But I think what James is giving us here is an instruction about a public demonstration of faith in prayer. And it's not just my prayer. It's not actually just the elders' prayer, but it's the prayers of the entire church, unified together, praying for the same thing. It's a public demonstration of our faith when we ask the church to pray with us and for us, for a specific, in this case, healing. It's similar to baptism, in a way, because baptism, when you go under the water and come up out of the water, it's a public testimony to all those around that you are dying to yourself And you are now giving your life to live in newness of life for Christ. And so in the same way, we have this prayer of the elders where we unified with the church, we do it in a public manner that we pray together in faith. So it's a demonstration publicly of our faith. It's the elders because the elders are the spokesmen for the church body as a whole. And by asking them to come, we're basically asking the entire church to be united together praying for this specific healing. And as we studied in 1 Peter chapter 2, just a couple weeks ago, we saw that we are called living stones. We are just parts of the church as a whole, and God uh, uses and demonstrates his power through the church and his authority through the church as a whole, not through individual believers. Now, we experience God's power in our life on a regular basis, But in something like this, 
And, and Peter was, the, uh, remember I gave the illustration that in Matthew 18 that Christ said, this is how you're to carry out church discipline, and it's the church that exercises that church discipline. It's not an individual believer. And in the same way, this public unified body praying together calls down the power and authority of God in a way that an individual believer cannot. And so it's through the body as a whole that God has called us to pray in that way. And so in calling for the elders, the sick person is acting in faith, submitting himself not just to the spiritual authority of the elders in the church, but admitting in humility his assistance and his dependence upon other people to pray for him because we can't do it ourselves. Christianity is not an independent undertaking. We are part of the body of Christ, not individual believers. And that's what, exactly what Paul is talking about, I think, in, verse, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, when he says, if one part of the body suffer, we all suffer. And so suffering together because one person is sick, we all pray together for healing. Now, what about the anointing with oil? In Bible times, and actually today in the Mideast, olive oil, and that's what it's referring to, olive oil was used as a medicine for many ailments. That was their main medicine. It was frequently rubbed on the skin. It was taken internally. Some of them rubbed it all over their body as a remedy for sickness. And it was used generally to continue in good health or to prevent sickness. Um, and... Some will say this anointing of oil in James chapter 5 is a figurative language. It's not real oil. It's not uh, literal rubbing of oil or anointing with oil. And yet, um, there's nothing else figurative about this passage. And so the oil that James is talking about, I believe, is olive oil. It may have been infused with other herbs or spices as they used for healing. Um, but I don't think what James is calling us to do here is to call the elders and have them give us medicine, okay? I am not a doctor or a pharmacist, and you wouldn't want me prescribing your medicine, okay? You'd be in danger if that was true. That's not what James is saying. It's not call the elders and have them give you medicine. So it's beyond that. In Scripture, oil also represents the Holy Spirit, and so by anointing with oil while we pray, we're petitioning God's Spirit in a symbolic way to do a miraculous work of healing in this sick person as only God can do. We're not saying we're relying on the medicine to heal somebody. We're basically saying there's nothing we can do physically, God, and so we need your intervention in a miraculous way. And the oil represents the Holy Spirit in that person's life. I want you to understand this. It's not the prayer that saves or, or that heals. It's not the oil that heals. It's not some gift of the elders or some special power that we get through the church. It is God who does that work. It is the power of God that heals. And if you look down in the middle of verse 15, James makes that very clear. He says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and who raises him up? The Lord will raise him up. See, the prayer of faith connects us to the Lord. It illustrates in our lives our dependence upon God's intervention, and God does the work. So the real power is not in the prayer or the oil or the elders or even in our faith. The real power is in God where our faith is placed. 
And so the healing comes from God, not from some substance or some activity. So in anointing with oil, the elders and the church as a whole are petitioning the Holy Spirit to do his work and show his power in this sick person to relieve them of their physical illness and restore normal strength and functioning to their body. That's what James is talking about, I believe. And therefore, I believe that because everything else is literal, I think the oil applying or, or anointing with oil is literal as well. Now, one point I want to make about this anointing with oil is that we should not confuse this with the ritual of the Catholic Church called extreme unction. Extreme unction is when the priest comes to a dying person and does what very similarly looks what James is describing, anoints them with oil and prays over them. The practice of extreme unction in the Catholic Church, though, is preparing a person for death. James is not talking about preparing a person for death. James is talking about obeying and praying to God for healing. It's just the opposite. So we're not talking about extreme unction. We're talking about what James has told us to do in extreme cases of sickness, to ask God for healing in this way, in simple obedience and simple faith. So that's the process that James outlines here. Call for the elders, have them pray over him, anointing him with oil. So that's the second thing. Third, I want us to understand this truth. God's will is for all of us to be healed. Now, I want you to understand what I mean when I say that. What I mean is God is not going to heal us from every sickness and every disease on this earth when we ask him, okay? There, we can just go to the Scripture and look at Paul. Paul had the thorn in his flesh. Many believe that was a physical ailment, probably with his eyes. And he petitioned God three times. Now, if we say, well, it's because he didn't have faith. Uh, when, if you're going to say that against Paul, I think we're in shaky ground, okay? But Paul petitioned God three times to remove that thorn in his flesh, and God said no. Because I want you to understand that your strength doesn't come from you, your strength comes from me, and therefore my grace is made perfect in your weakness. So God doesn't always heal on this earth. And that's not what I mean when I say God's will is for us to be healed. It is God's will for us to be healed as long as we understand the definition of healing from God's perspective. And that's the important part. I believe that God's will is for all of us to be healed, and it starts with spiritual healing. And we have to understand that. Spiritual to God is much more important than the physical. The spiritual is who we are. It is our soul, our spirit. That needs to be made right with God. And so all of us are born in the sickness of sin, and we are condemned to hell because of our sin, and we need to be healed from that, we'll call it a disease, of sin. Now, it is our nature, and it's by choice. But it renders to us the consequence of death. And so God's will is for all of us to be healed from Sin, first. John 3.16, for God so loved who? The world, all that are in the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
God offers his forgiveness. We, mentioned, we learned this in Sunday school this morning. God offers his forgiveness to all people, not a select few, to all people. Not all receive it, but it's offered to all. And so God wants all to be healed. James, or for 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then we ask, well, if that's what God wants, why doesn't everybody get saved? Because people, God lets people make their own decision and choose what they want. Those who desire him, who will submit to him, will receive that healing. Those who don't want God to be part of their lives, he won't force to make him part of their lives. But they will receive the consequences for it. And so God wants us to be healed spiritually first. That's the most important part of it. Well, what about the physical healing? Well, honestly, I believe that God's desire is for everyone to be physically healed as well, but in this context, if we are spiritually healed, which God desires for everybody, eventually, when we get to heaven, we will all be completely and immediately physically healed. We will receive a glorified body, a perfected body that will never get sick, that will never die, that will never experience pain. That is what I call ultimate healing. Now, God's will, if it is his will, if his desire is for everyone to experience spiritual healing, then his desire is also for everyone to experience that ultimate physical healing in heaven. And so that's what I mean when I say God's desire and his will is for all of us to be healed. We all will be, those who believe. But this physical healing on earth, we have to look at in a different dimension. Because again, we can't equate what we think of healing with what God says healing is. So let me give you three ways in which God heals people. Number one, he heals immediately. When Jesus was in his ministry on earth and he was going around and healing people, we have accounts in scripture of him going to blind people, to lame people, to people with other diseases, leprosy. And as soon as he touched them, they were made whole. Immediate healing. In fact, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, I would call that an immediate healing. Okay? So that's number one. Number two, God also heals gradually. Now, we pray for, and you have a prayer list in front of you, that we have many people on this prayer list that we've been praying for in sickness for many weeks. Does that mean because they're still sick that God's not going to heal them? No. In fact, many people that we prayed for for many weeks finally got better. I mean, we have people in this congregation that are testimony of that. It took some time, but God gradually healed them from their disease. And so God heals immediately, but he also heals gradually. And then obviously the third one is ultimately when we will be healed perfectly and completely in heaven. And that's what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15. The corruptible is taken away. We are given incorruptible body, not just spirit, but an incorruptible body that will never fade away. Now, this is important for us to remember as we pray this prayer of faith according to God's will, because God, in that sense, will always answer our prayer for healing in his way and in his time. So his answer is always, yes, I will provide this healing, but it may not look exactly like what we expect. 
Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, people have taken that verse and said, well, that says we can ask anything, and so God, give me a million dollars. Well, there's a reason why he doesn't answer that. We'll look at that in just a minute. All right? But there's also the same reason why sometimes we experience severe sickness and we say, God, heal me. And he doesn't, in our perspective, heal us. We prayed for my mother, who had Parkinson's disease for many years, and she went to heaven. God took her. But she's completely healed now. So he answered our prayer. So when we talk about the prayer of faith and asking in, God's, in Christ's name for God to give us healing, we need to look at it from God's perspective. What does that healing look like? Now, yes, there is immediate healing that can happen. There is gradual healing that can happen. Or God may choose to completely heal the person as they leave this earth. And so the prayer of faith that James refers to in, in verse 15 that will heal the sick it is an answer to prayer that God will heal according to his will. And he always knows what's best, and he always does what's good, but he always answers. So the question is, should we pray for miraculous, immediate physical healing, then, according to James 5, as we seek his will? And I think the answer is yes. There's nothing wrong with praying for a miraculous, immediate healing. Now, God may not give it to us, but I want you to look at the example and the illustration that James gives us in supporting this. If you go to verse 15, I'm going to read down past 16. He says, The prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. There's healing, and that's a physical raising up, by the way. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. There's the spiritual healing. And then he says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. And that includes both, physical and spiritual. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. A righteous man is a man who trusts God and lives in faith. And prays in faith. Trusting God that he can do the miraculous. And that sometimes he will do the miraculous. And then he gives us this example of this prayer of faith. And he says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. He went through all the same things we do. And Elijah prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Now, if he wasn't talking about asking for immediate, complete healing in our prayer, he wouldn't give us an example of a man who prayed and received an immediate miracle from God. And so everything in this passage points to the fact that James is actually encouraging us in faith when we are in those severe sickness to follow this and pray, have the elders pray and anoint with oil in faith that God will heal physically. Now you say, well, God doesn't do miraculous healings as often now as the days of Jesus in the early church. No, and there's a reason for that. 
Number one is because he used those miraculous events to, uh, um, to, to indicate his authority in the people through which he gave his word. When his word was completed, he didn't need those miracles to authenticate that authority anymore. We have his word. It's completed for us now. But second of all, I think it's because the people in the early church had much more faith than we do. We have become, especially in this country, comfortable with what God has given us. We have become lackadaisical about living for him. And when we call faith, faith, we have no idea really what we're talking about. Yes, I believe God. I believe the Bible. Take a look at your life. Do you really? Is it a life of faith? Or is it just some conglomeration that you put together from verses that you've read, and so this is what I think it should look like? Do we look in the Bible and say, okay, God, you've said it. I'm just going to do it this way. So I don't think we have faith like they did back in the days of Jesus in the early church. Now, I want to point out one more thing about this prayer for miraculous healing, and it was actually David Wallace who reminded me of this. This morning, we prayed the Lord's Prayer together, and in that prayer, we said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that kind of an indication? If God wants us to be completely healed in heaven eventually, that he will also do it on earth for those who ask in faith. Here's the reason why we don't see these miracles today. James chapter 4, verse 2, if you go to the previous chapter, he says, you have not because you ask not. We don't pray for miracles. No, that doesn't happen anymore. God's not going to answer it that way. No, that's an impossible thing. We look at prayer, we look at God's answers in terms of what's humanly possible. You know, we get sick, we go, oh, there's a medicine for that. And we go to the medicine. We don't go to prayer. And when we come up against a disease that there is no medicine for or treatment that can even suggest maybe a cure, well, we go to the doctor, we go to the medicine. How often do we really pray as our first response? Now, what I'm saying is it's not wrong for us to pray for God's miraculous intervention for healing or even for other miracles in God's intervention in our lives, but our motive is what matters. It says the Lord shall raise him up, and so the Lord gets the glory here. If we pray because we want something out of it and we want to benefit for our own selfish desires, James goes on in chapter 4, he says, You ask and you have not, because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. In other words, I'm just being selfish. This is the way I want my life to be, God, so you've got to give it to me. You promised. Now remember I said, what about praying for a million dollars? Well, that's selfish. Now, if our church had a ministry that needed a million dollars to perform and, and conduct the work of God and we prayed for God, that's giving God the glory, if that's what he's called us to do, and he can provide in that way. The reason he hasn't rained a million dollars on all of us is because he knows we don't need it, first of all. And second of all, if we pray that, it's probably for our own good 
not for the, the building of God's kingdom. And so James tells us, you have not because you ask not. And you ask and you have not because you ask that you may consume it upon your lusts. Selfishly. So I believe that we're missing many blessings and miracles that God wants to give us and provide in our lives because we do not believe that either God can do them or that he will do them. The early church saw miracles. They knew that God could do them. Because we haven't seen many miracles, I think, in our minds, we get to the point where we just go, well, he's not going to do it. And we often pray that way. Lord, I have this pressing need. Lord, I have this severe sickness. Lord, I have this issue in my life, and I'm praying for this, but we don't say it. You're probably not going to do it. But that's what's there. And so we don't pray in faith. We don't see the power of God's hand at work because we fail to pray in real faith, expecting him to answer in a way that goes beyond human reason and human capability. But that's who God is. The almighty creator of the universe is not limited to what we think is possible or probable. But how often do we pray that way? And that's not faith, that's doubt when we don't pray that way. Matthew Henry, specifically talking about this passage, says, Where there are extraordinary measures of faith, an extraordinary blessing may attend the observance of this direction for the sick. Why are we not healed many times? Because we don't expect God to heal us in a miraculous way. That's not how it works, Pastor. You've got to understand. That's how God works. Now, he may take you from this earth, and that's ultimate healing. Again, we have to put it in his perspective. But do we really pray in faith, believing that he can provide miracles? If we're going to live in faith, then we need to put into practice and our prayer what we believe our God is capable of. And how we pray reveals what we believe God is capable of. Now, as many of you know, Charlotte Wallace was recently diagnosed with Batten's disease. It's a, gen a genetic degenerative disease that operates at a metabolic level. I can't explain it. In fact, there's not a whole lot of scholarship to explain it. But basically, it deprives the cells of the body from being able to eliminate the waste products within those cells. And so the cells get overwhelmed, and finally they just give up, and they die. And it affects mainly the neurological system, the nervous system. It manifests itself in the victim through impaired motor and speech functions, weakened vision, eventually blindness loss of ability to eat and swallow, among other things, and eventually death. Think of it as dementia or Parkinson's in an infant. And that's what we're looking at. And the doctors say because Charlotte exhibited symptoms before she was a year old, the expectation is not that she probably will not live beyond four or five years. 
That's the human perspective. Now, we've been praying for her for many weeks as a church. But last week, David and Bethany came to me, and and they said, here's the situation. We understand now what the situation and what the diagnosis is. James 5 says, come to the elders, have them pray over her, anointing her with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord will raise her up. This, I hope, is the healing that all of us have been praying for. And everybody, I think, would love to see this happen. And therefore, it should be how we are praying. Now, I can't say, I can guarantee with 100% success that God will answer specifically how we expect. But God will do his work in her. And God will glorify himself in her through whatever he does. So whatever the outcome may be, to God be the glory. So because David and Bethany have asked me and and Brandon, our elders, to do this, this is what we're going to do this morning. So David, I don't know if you're going to come up with Charlotte. And Brandon, if you're available, I, don't, I think he just took one of his children out. Okay. If you would join me up on the pulpit, please. Just so everybody knows, this is a little jar of olive oil. It's infused with frankincense. There's nothing special about it. it um, I mean, you could eat this if you wanted to or put it on salad. But it's oil that God told us to use. Why don't you come up here so everybody can hear. Charlotte, because of what God has instructed us to do in Scripture, and because of the faith of your parents, I anoint you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pray that God will heal you. Our Father in heaven, as we see this this little girl, it seems beyond our capability and our understanding. We see the doom and the tragedy that stands in front of us, and yet you've told us to come to you in faith, and so that's what we do this morning. Simple obedience, following your word and asking for healing for her. Lord, we know that you're the great physician. We know and believe that you have the power to heal her, that you can fix what is broken and restore health and function to her body because you made her. She belongs to you. And so, Lord, that's what we pray in faith. We pray for a miraculous healing on behalf of Charlotte that you would restore her to to good health, to normal function, through your power. 
that you might get the glory in whatever you do. We praise you, we thank you for your promises, and we trust you to do what is good. So we submit ourselves and we submit her to you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, she's in God's hands, and God will do what's best. We're going to close our service with hymn number 300, I'm sorry, hymn number 449, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, and we're going to sing... And I hope you sing like you mean it. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. Let's stand and sing 449.